It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you for subscribing. I really appreciate that. You can do that by going to thepetecalendarshow.com and you click the big fat subscribe button right next to my big fat face and then you're subscribed. Or you could just do it on the podcasting platform. Whatever platform you choose, it's totally up to you. I derive no extra benefit from any platform I am on. So uh, whatever you prefer is totally fine with me. Also, you can become a patron of the program. You get uh, access to exclusive content uh, like the live streams, for example, and the bumper stickers and uh, the prep sheet and uh, some advanced audio before everybody else gets it. You go to thepetecalendarshow.com and there is a link that is at the top of the page there. You click on that and you are good to go. People who have made that click include Daniel, Lisa, Eric, Loretta, Nancy, Stephen, David, Curtis, and Sherry, Nick, Mark, and Paul, thank you all for becoming patrons, and uh, you can join them, and then join us for the live streams. So do you remember McCray Dowless? Does the name ring a bell? McCray Dowless, the man with, like, two last names. Um, he was the political operative dude in Bladen County, Robeson County area, and he was the guy who was the alleged ballot harvester, the absentee ballot harvester, uh, who was employed by the what the consultant firm that was employed by the Mark Harris for Congress campaign in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District. And um, this was the district that or the election, you know, Harris squeaked out a victory. Then uh, they, uh, they the Board of Elections would not certify the results. And the whole thing got tossed and they had to run another election. And Harris was like, uh, I'm I'm sick. I'm recovering. I can't run again. And so Dan Bishop ran. Dan Bishop won. He's in Congress now. McCray Dowless. He pleaded guilty in federal court. But not for election fraud. So <laughs> he pleaded yeah, he pleaded guilty to two of the four charges that are related to collecting disability insurance payments uh, that he was otherwise not eligible to collect because he was actually working. It's always amazing the stuff that people go down for like this. You know, he was indicted by a federal grand jury back in April of 2020, according to WBTV, four counts. They got him on related to collecting Social Security benefits while earning income from political campaigns. He pleaded guilty to two of the four charges. And the News and Observer's Will Duran writes that prosecutors agreed to drop the other two charges. There is a separate state level court case dealing with the election fraud accusations. And that one is led by Wake County D.A. Lauren Freeman. And that case is still underway still going like at some point are we going to try this guy for this stuff or what he and his attorneys declined to comment to the news and observer outside the courthouse and again during an elevator ride <laughs> wow that must have been one awkward ride 
Was there even elevator music? Probably not. It's a government building. So I bet there wasn't even any music in there. Although I think just for comedic value, it probably would have added sort of like a Larry David curb your enthusiasm kind of effect where you're riding in the elevator with the reporter that you refuse to talk to. Although, honestly, being in the elevator is the perfect place to not talk to a reporter because that's basically what everybody does in elevators anyway. Dallas agreed to pay back up to $14,000 to the government as restitution for the disability payments that he fraudulently took. But we won't know for two more months what other punishment he might face. Sentencing in his case was set for the week of August 23rd. Now, um, the investigation into the absentee ballots, that did lead to the probe that got him this these charges and now this guilty plea. Um, so I, I shouldn't say that it was completely unrelated. It's not. They would not have found this work that he had done while drawing disability because he was he was taking the money from and he, he took like one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Well, he was paid one hundred thirty thousand dollars from this consulting firm called Red Dome that was hired by the Harris campaign. And then Red Dome went out and hired Dowless to do the absentee ballot work that they wanted done in Bladen County and I think also in Robinson County as well. But uh, Red Dome hired him and apparently paid him like $130,000. And rather than depositing the checks that he got into a bank account, he cashed them so as to try to avoid detection because he didn't want to lose his disability income. His disability income $721 a month. He's pulling down 130k and he's trying to hold on to $721 a month in disability payments. That's what I mean. The stuff that these people like <laughs> the criminals get busted for. Like really? This was I mean I understand like after the election's over then you're not going to have that money, but it's $130,000. Are you telling me that you can't you can't figure out a way to make that last until the next election cycle? Really? Until another year down the road? Or even if it's two, that's still like 60k a year. I yeah. Anyway, uh the accusations against him led to the 2018 congressional race in the 9th district uh being redone. And uh, without Mark Harris. So there's that. We get some uh, some closure, but not on the actual election fraud charges. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Uh, well, look, anything is possible. I mean, look at what look at what Stacey Abrams is now saying. Stacey Abrams is now apparently OK with voter ID. I know who could have ever guessed it. Here is a story at The Washington Post. Headline, Stacey Abrams and the Democrats' evolution on voter ID. It still isn't clear exactly what will happen with Senator Joe Manchin's middle ground proposal on voting rights. I think we all know what's going to happen with that. (laughs) Mitch McConnell's already said this thing is not passing, right? Didn't he say that? Um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is planning to bring up the For the People Act which Manchin opposes in its current form. They're going to do this vote today while saying he will continue working with Manchin. That's Schumer. So Schumer's like, I'm bringing up the For the People Act, even though it's not going to get 
because you need 60 votes in the Senate, and they're not going to have 60 votes. They're, they're going to be lucky to get 50 because it's a 50-50 split in the Senate, and Manchin opposes it. So he's not going along with it, and uh, so they're, they're not going to get the 50 votes, but Schumer's going to bring it up anyway, I guess, and it's, I guess, going to go down, and then I guess we're going to bring up Manchin's middle ground proposal. But regardless of what happens with the bill, according to this piece at the Washington Post, Manchin's proposal has moved the needle in one significant way, which is signaling a softening by key Democrats on voter ID. Because among the carrots that were the enticements in the bill in Manchin's proposal to try to get Republicans on board was a voter ID provision. Republicans pushed voter ID hard at the state level in recent years, but rather than merely describe Manchin's voter ID proposal as a concession, some key Democrats are now suggesting they don't really object to it or the broader concept at all. Right. Sure. So all this talk about disenfranchisement and how the Republicans are racists, you guys didn't believe that? Really? No, 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 they say it's not like that. You're reading it all wrong, Pete. You got us all wrong, see? No, no, no. Ours is a highly nuanced and very complex rationale here. So you just don't understand. What we've been saying is we don't like the voter ID that Republicans are proposing. That's the thing that we don't like. We've never had a problem with voter ID in principle. Mm-hmm. More on this in a minute. First, uh, if you would like to have uh, more uh, uh, confidence in your roof, you want to know that this uh, is, in, it is in good shape and that uh, this roof is going to last you years and years, then uh, you go to Balkan Roofing. Okay, look, you can go out and you can get the chuck in a truck, you know, special job. The guy shows up and he's like, I got a ladder. I'm an expert. And so then he, like, he climbs up there and he does something up there and you don't ever go up there and check because you're not going to go on the roof and check. So uh, he does whatever he does. And then uh, fast forward a few months or maybe a couple of years, you get out of it. It's a cheap roof and you're going to get a cheap product. And then you're going to have to call Balkan to come and repair it. So you can go that route and pay more money that way. Or you can just call Balkan the first time. Free estimates. Yeah, they'll take a look at your uh, your roof. Make sure that uh, it's still, you know, uh, it's still doing its job, protecting everything that is important that's in the house right? The people and the items, it's the biggest investment most of us will ever make. So protect it. Protect the things that matter most. That's the roof. It does all of that work for you. And if you do have to get a new roof, um, you can get a roof high quality. I mean, top of the line stuff. They they keep winning awards. Um, uh, Balkan Roofing keeps winning awards from GAF, the largest uh, shingle manufacturer in North America. And you get a high-quality roof for as low as $69 a month. What a deal. And they've got financing right there in-house, okay? So, like, between you and me, almost everybody qualifies, okay? So give them a call, 628-0390. That's 628-0390. Or go to BalkanRoofing.com. That's BalkanRoofing.com. So among the carrots for the Republicans in this bill according to the Washington Post, was the voter ID 
provision. Former gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, who has been running around claiming that uh, the election was stolen from her, that it was all rigged, right, in obviously not any kind of a way to undermine our confidence in the democracy. Only Republicans do that, folks. Only Republicans, Donald Trump, only they are the ones who undermine confidence in the system by running around talking about vote fraud. Stacey Abrams, a leader of the Democrats' voting rights push, was asked last week on CNN whether she could, quote, accept this compromise, what Joe Manchin laid out, even if voter ID was part of it. And she says, quote, that's one of the fallacies of Republican talking points that have been deeply disturbing. No one has ever objected to having to prove who you are to vote. It's been part of our nation's history since the inception of voting. This is gaslighting. This is a form of mental abuse engaged in by narcissists and sociopaths. This is an absolute lie. Of course, y'all have opposed voter ID. And the idea that you're now trying to carve out some nuanced position, oh no, it's only the Republican proposals. Every single Republican proposal ever made in any state anywhere ever, those are the proposals we oppose. It's not the concept of proving who you are to vote. We, we actually support that. We're, we're actually some of the biggest supporters of, of photo ID, voter ID. Why, if you look up, vo- okay, I mean, if you, you look it up in the dictionary, it's us. Like, give me a break, guys. They claim they did not oppose voter ID out of hand, but rather they just opposed specific types of more restrictive voter ID, like the ones Republicans proposed in recent years. Literally every single one of them. Literally every bill. Okay. Um, But even accounting for that, the Washington Post goes on to say later on, even accounting for that and the idea that opposing GOP voter ID bills is not the same as opposing all voter ID. What we saw last week was a significant rhetorical concession from some key Democrats. It wasn't just that voter ID was worth the rest of Manchin's package. Yeah. Sorry, just thinking. But anyway, uh, it was that it wasn't really a big deal at all to have a less stringent version of such a law. It's also pretty difficult to separate from where polling on this issue has long been. A um, a Monmouth University poll that just got released Monday morning showed 80% of Americans agree with the statement that they, in general, support requiring voters to show a photo ID in order to vote. Not just some form of ID, but photo ID. And 62% of Democrats agree with it. I have that Monmouth poll right here. Headlined, public supports both early voting and requiring photo ID to vote. A third remain convinced of 2020 election fraud. All right. Um, What else? uh, The public is divided on expanding vote by mail. Although a majority would like to see some national voting guidelines established for federal elections. No. No. We have a federalist system. We have a federalist model. You do not want to put in place one set of rules like that and have every state then under them because to the folks who believe in GovCo so much, they think nothing wrong could ever happen. For the people who lack confidence in GovCo, like me, uh, 
I look at mistakes getting replicated across every single jurisdiction. <laughs> so some some error in the drafting, some mess up at that national level, then means a mess up at every local and state level across the country. This is the genius of the founding fathers and this federalist project, right? That's the beauty, is that uh, mistakes are essentially quarantined. And I don't mean quarantined like the modern, you know, definition and understanding of what quarantine is, where like people who don't have anything wrong with them have to stay home. But I mean, like the traditional understanding of quarantine where the problem is contained, right? That's the beauty of the system. And so it's, it doesn't infect all of these other states with some sort of mess up. The poll also finds that only one third of the public believes that these audits that are being conducted are legitimate and that these are legitimate efforts to uncover irregularities. One third of Americans continue to believe Joe Biden won the presidency only due to vote fraud. One third. A steady trend since November. And a large majority, 71% of the public, feels that in-person early voting should generally be made easier. And like, kind of, I'm kind of curious here, like, how, how much easier does it need to be? Because right now it's really easy. Well, at least it is in North Carolina, where, you know, we're laboring under Jim Crow 2.0. Um... Yeah, really. Like, what else? What? Like, how easier can it be? You show up for like two and a half weeks prior to the election. You get to go to like any of these places and you rarely have to wait in line. You cast your ballot and you're done. I don't understand. Anyway, um, do, 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 do a large majority want it easier. 16% say they want to make it harder. Opinion is more divided on voting by mail. 50% say they should make it easier to vote by mail. 39% say it should be made harder. At the same time, 80% support photo ID, only 18% oppose it. Easing in-person early voting access and requiring photo IDs both have bipartisan majority support. So this this intrigued me. I went a little deeper um, to, 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 into the cross tabs, as they are called, to find the demographic breakdown. And here's the question, number 31. Question 31, in general, do you support or oppose requiring photo ID? And among party identify, uh, among the different party ID, you've got Republican, Democrat, and Independent, or North Carolina, it would be unaffiliated, right? So 91% of Republicans say yes, photo ID. 87% unaffiliated say yes. And 62% of Democrats say yes. So two-thirds of Democrats, almost. Um, when you look at the political ideology, conservatives, 93% say yes. Moderates, 82% say yes. Liberals, 56. So there's your erosion. The more, the more liberal the person is, the less likely they are to support photo voter ID. Then you break it down among men and women. Men, 82% say yes. Women, only 78%. And then you break it down by race. Among whites, 77% say yes to voter ID. 77. Compared with blacks, Hispanics, Asians, others, 84%. (laughs) 
So it's actually, it actually enjoys greater levels of support among non-whites. Do you think this might have something to do with their newfound position on, no, actually, we're totally fine with voter ID, have been from the very beginning. We just didn't like any of your plans. Four-year college degree, 69% support it. If you don't have a degree, 85%. White people with college degrees, 65%. White people without college degrees, 83%. So what are we learning here? White, progressive, women, and to a lesser extent, men. Those are the people driving the anti-photo ID. And what are their arguments? They're protecting non-white people. Those non-white people, they don't, they don't have the ability to get an ID. Meanwhile, all those other people, the non-white, non-liberal, non-women, <laughs> like every other demographic, they're all like, yeah, we could get ID. We're totally, so- we're totally supportive of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast an entire group of people as a certain thing. I'm just pointing out that if you're against voter ID, you're probably more likely to be a progressive uh, female with a college degree. I'm just just noting it for the record. I note also for the record, general equipment rental, this is the place that you go when you need to get a piece of either heavy machinery and you just want to rent it, get a job done quickly and correctly, right? You go to general equipment rental for that. Um, Or if you are looking for a great deal on Honda or Husqvarna outdoor power equipment, same place, general equipment rental. These are for sale. Okay. So they've got, you know, everything from chainsaws to blowers and trimmers and hedge clippers. Uh, they've got that auto mower, the thing, it's like the Roomba for your yard. It just, it just drives around your yard and cuts the grass all the time. You never have to worry about mowing the yard again. Um, and it's all like on GPS and it's all controlled by your smartphone. And, uh, if anybody tries to steal it, it locks itself down as soon as it gets beyond the perimeter. So it just becomes like this big paperweight that the thief has to try to carry oh and then it starts emitting a signal so the cops can track the thief down and uh, which granted doesn't do a lot of good for you if uh like you're in for example san francisco where they don't prosecute uh crimes like that any longer um maybe not so great of a thing but uh the automower like if i had a lawn which i don't right now but soon uh this thing would be awesome I would love to have an auto mower. Pick one up at General Equipment Rental. Go check out the inventory. It's at generalrents.com. That's generalrents.com. They are in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. Tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I appreciate that. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So I mentioned the audits that uh, the polling shows that a lot of people don't believe that these are legitimate uh, exercises to root out fraud. Um, but there was a story at justthenews.com. This is the website run by John Solomon. He used to write for The Hill, did, has done a ton of uh, investigative work on uh, like the Russia collusion. Like, remember when all of the Russia collusion story was being advanced in the corporate legacy media? And uh, there was like this one guy in the wilderness. It was like he had sources and he was getting documents and he was like, guys, this is not accurate. Um, the narrative that they're pushing is not true. This is John Solomon. So now he's at this uh, startup. Well, it's not even a startup anymore. They've been doing it now a couple of years. And um, he's apparently been working this story down in Georgia. And he says documents that 
Georgia's largest county, so Fulton County, Atlanta, which, well, I'll get to that in a second. Fulton County, the documents that this county submitted to state officials as part of this audit highlight, quote, significant irregularities in the Atlanta area during last November's voting, ranging from identical vote tallies repeated multiple times to large batches of absentee ballots that appear to be missing from the official ballot scanning records. Okay, so I know that's a lot of stuff there. So let me, I'll I'll walk you through it. Ranging from identical vote tallies repeated multiple times. So so you catch that? Identical vote. So 622 uh, uh, votes tallied here. And then you see the same number pop up a couple different times. So that's one problem they've identified. Other problem identified, large batches of absentee ballots that appear to be missing from the official ballot scanning records. The problems in predominantly Democratic Fulton County potentially impact thousands of ballots in a presidential race that Joe Biden was certified as winning statewide by fewer than 12,000 votes. The memos reviewed by Just the News include the handwritten tally sheets for all absentee ballots counted by the county, as well as a private report from a contractor that was hired by the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Uh, This contractor was hired to monitor the Atlanta area election process, which is not exactly (laughs) a sign of confidence (laughs) in the work being done by that election office, right? When you have to bring in a private contractor to monitor what's going on, I don't think that's generally a sign of confidence. The report, which chronicled seven days of problems, recorded troubling behavior like the mysterious removal of a suitcase of sensitive election data known as poll pads, polls pads or something, used to authenticate voters. The contractor also observed that sensitive election materials were left on a dock at a warehouse without any supervision. Although, I need to point this out, the seals were intact. Okay, so these these uh, materials were sealed. The seals were intact. So, yes, it's bad that they were left there, but um, we don't know that there's, there's no evidence that they were tampered with. Still not great, but... <laughs> could have been worse. The revelations come as a state judge has taken the extraordinary step of ordering absentee ballots in the county to be unsealed so that a private audit led by a lawyer named Bob Cheeley can examine the actual papers and resolve the discrepancies. Cheeley told Just the News that the evidence he has seen points to, quote, election tabulation malpractice. Private experts and state election officials differ on whether the evidence shows a pattern of potential fraud or simply gross incompetence in the county that encompasses Atlanta. Now, I remember after Election Day that uh, people were talking about Atlanta because, remember, on Election Night, they had the problem with the uh, during the counting and they shut it all down and they were like, oh, there's a water pipe break or whatever. And then they were like, wasn't and um so there was that all that stuff going on. But in the days afterwards, um, we started hearing that like when the state, especially when the state legislature ran their bill, that they said, look, we need to maybe come in and take over uh, the election administration for a county like Fulton when it's really bad. It's been bad for a while. Uh, 
all that's to say, like, we found out that Fulton County election officials really have not done a very good job for quite a while. So this idea that, you know, how dare you question uh, the, uh, the, the poll counting and the work that these volunteers have been doing, it's all been above board, like, the, the idea that that would be off limits to simply just highlight, to question, to note, uh, that has been an, indi- an indication to me, at least, that some people are nervous about what, what might be found. In, in an audit, right? Because generally speaking, if you believe everything was perfect and above board and there wasn't any problems, no discrepancies, and you're, you're confident in your record, then an audit doesn't really matter. Sure, knock yourself out, waste a whole bunch of resources, that's fine. Um, but if you know that the process has uh, a good degree of uh, taintage, I believe is the word for it, um, or <laughs> irregularities, inaccuracies, discrepancies, whatever, then uh, it, it, it's almost like you're you're betraying your own lack of confidence there by saying, oh, no, no, don't do this, don't do this, you can't do this, it's illegitimate. The secretary said he stands by his private monitor's assessment that fraud did not occur at a scale in Fulton County to impact the election's outcome, but he added that the county's election management failures nonetheless warrant dramatic repair. So they warrant dramatic repair, but you don't think it's enough to overcome the 12,000 vote difference. Okay, so that's where we are in Georgia. Um, Now, if you want to change where you are, maybe to Georgia or out of Georgia or to any other state or uh, city for that matter, then you need a real estate agent. And I've got one for you. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483. That's the phone number, 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com, and she's the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. Uh, This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions, goes to police officers and firefighters and healthcare professionals and educators and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees. So um, she's giving back like $800,000 so far to folks in those professions. So keep more of your own money. Give her a call, 828-333-4483. Buying or selling the only agent uh, that I would call, that I did call, is Rowena and her all-star powerhouse team. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. That's mountainhomehunt.com. And then start packing. So, all right, shifting gears, the key fault line in the U.S. Supreme Court that Donald Trump built I love this politico. Don't ever change. Uh, Donald Trump did not build the Supreme Court, okay? He named three judges to it. Uh, he did not build the... There are, there are literally twice as many appointees that he did not name <laughs> than he did. Anyway... The key fault line, says Josh Gerstein at the Politico website, says uh, it's not the ideological clash between the right and the left. It's the increasingly acrimonious conflict within the court's now dominant conservative wing. Those rifts burst wide open the other day with two of the highest profile decisions of the court's current term. In both the big cases involving Obamacare and a Catholic group, that refuses to vet same-sex couples as foster parents in Philadelphia, conservative justices unleashed sharp attacks that seemed aimed at their fellow GOP appointees for failing to grapple with the core issues the cases presented. Don't call it a civil war. 
<laughs> That's what I expected to see. There's got to be somebody out there that is framing this as civil war among conservative justices, right? Some liberal legal commentators have noted that the most recently, or sorry, the most carefully dissected rhetorical sparring is now taking place among members of the new six-justice conservative majority, with the three remaining liberal justices often left as mere spectators. Leading the charge from the right in both cases was Justice Samuel Alito, who penned caustic opinions, taking his colleagues to task for issuing narrow rulings that seemed to him to be aimed at diffusing political tensions rather than interpreting the law. Like, for everybody on the right, uh, people who listen to talk radio, and podcasts, right, read conservative media, we're already, uh, already aware that there are people on the right that are not happy with Chief Justice John Roberts. <laughs> Right. This is not earth shattering, but I mean, welcome to the recognition party, um, lefties, uh, make yourself at home. We've known this for a while. Conservatives have been suspicious of John Roberts and uh, this uh, this demurring, if you will, to like the the integrity of the court. And I say it not as like that the court should you know have integrity because, of course, it should. But like this concept that like we're holding the court above politics Whereas most people in America, I don't think actually view that as the case, but he's like really concerned about the reputation of the court and people on the right already believe this. They believe that he is susceptible to influence from the chattering class, from uh, the nattering nabobs of negativity, from uh, the inside the beltway crowd, right? The right already believes this. So apparently now progressives are now just awakening to this idea uh, based on these last two uh, cases. After receiving uh, more than uh, 2,500 pages of briefing and after more than a half year of post-argument cogitation, the court has emitted a wisp of a decision that leaves religious liberty in a confused and vulnerable state. Alito wrote in the foster care case, quote, those who count on this court to stand up for the First Amendment, have every right to be disappointed, as am I. Again, this is a familiar criticism that the Supreme Court refuses to take up the core issues that they pick around the edges so they don't issue like earth-shattering, norm-busting kinds of rulings, right? They try to steer away on that kind of, uh, from those kinds of decisions, and the problem is, is it leaves everybody in a state of limbo, and then more lawsuits get filed, and it gets murkier and murkier. A great example of this is North Carolina's very own redistricting lawsuits. We have gone, this state has gone to the Supreme Court, I don't even know how many times now, for the better part of 30 years for redistricting lawsuits. And depending on what political philosophy controls the bench, we get constantly shifting guidelines on how to draw the maps. They get thrown out when uh, when uh, Republicans draw them and then they get uh, they get redone when Democrats draw them. It's just it, it's it's confusing and it's you got to have some level of clarity and certainty for the people that are actually trying to uh, to do the job. You know, they need that certainty. For example, the certainty that you get when you go to Old Grouch's military surplus, you are certainly going to be getting high quality, real U.S. military surplus, uh, really unique items as well. 
He's got duffel bags. He's got camo netting that uh, is thermal blocking. So that's really cool. If you're setting up uh, like a little outdoor area, you take it camping. He's got backpacks and rain ponchos and canteen cup stoves and camp stoves and ammo cans and gun accessories and body armor. Well, body armor sometimes is sometimes it's difficult depending on circumstances in the news. Body armor can be kind of tough to get <laughs> sometimes, but he's always getting new stuff in because he's going to different shows and he's looking for deals and uh, surplus stuff. So he's all over the place getting all this stuff for you. So you want to check back regularly. He's in downtown Clyde uh, right off of I-40. So if you're heading out to, uh, you know, to the casino, to Harris, you're going to Cherokee and Maggie Valley or Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg or Asheville, get off exit 27 on I-40 and uh, you just drop into the store and right next door to old grouches is uh, a boutique gift and clothing shop just opened so there's something to do for everybody right you can browse in downtown clyde for a little while and then get back on the road for more than three decades old grouches military surplus in downtown clyde across the street from the anti-aircraft gun the shop is open monday through saturday 24 7 online as always at oldgrouch.com so in the Obamacare dispute, according to Politico, Justice Samuel Alito sarcastically accused the majority of repeatedly indulging in flights of legal sophistry to avoid the politically unpalatable step of striking down the landmark health care law. Quote, no one can fail to be impressed by the lengths to which this court has been willing to go to defend the Affordable Care Act against all threats, he wrote. A penalty is a tax. The United States is a state, and 18 states who bear costly burdens under the ACA cannot even get a foot in the door to raise a constitutional challenge. Fans of judicial inventiveness will applaud once again, but I must respectfully dissent. All right, so they turned down this case on standing uh, that the states... Uh, could not they didn't have standing to raise this constitutional challenge and that's what alito uh, was highlighting this the ridiculousness that you can conjure up these ideas that a penalty is a tax unless you wanted to call it a tax when you were drafting it and then it's not a tax but now that you needed to pass muster at the supreme court then it totally is a tax um, or that the united states is a state and not a collection of states Right. So so they're willing to find all of these ways to protect the Affordable Care Act. And this has been the case, by the way, uh, since the original um, ruling. Right. That conservatives have felt this way from the very beginning, from that first case, when John Roberts voted with the liberal majority and preserved and protected the Affordable Care Act. It was it was the biggest. This is why conservatives hate John Roberts now. Still to this day, even when he issues a ruling that is in favor of a position that conservatives like, we still don't like him <laughs> because you can't trust him because he, he invents this stuff, this judicial inventiveness. It's one of the I think it's one of the most corrosive and destructive forces uh, in our legal jurisprudence right now that you got these lawyers in black robes that conjure up ways to justify pre-existing ideas that they want to see. Um supported or struck down it's so damaging um look the law says something or it doesn't you don't get to in, to divine uh, a law into being in order to you know to protect it if it is clearly not spelled out then this judicial inventiveness undermines confidence and for a guy who is purportedly you know so concerned about protecting uh you know, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, he does an awful lot. He really does. He does an awful lot to undermine it. Among the right. On the left, I'm sure they love it.
and maybe that's where he thought the bigger um the heavier lift was uh, was going to have to happen is on the left that he's got to try to convince people on the left that the Supreme Court has legitimacy. While Alito observed the court's traditional decorum by railing at the majority, there was little doubt that his criticism was aimed primarily at Chief Justice John Roberts, who provided the pivotal vote to uphold Obamacare nine years ago and then voted this last week to leave the new law intact by concluding or uh, to leave the law intact by concluding that the Republican-led states seeking to overturn it lacked legal standing to sue. Um, Politico calls this um, this opinion by Roberts vintage Roberts largely technical pushing aside more fundamental questions about the law's constitution uh, constitutionality Gorsuch repeated much of Alito's criticism and Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh both supported Roberts position Gorsuch uh, in the other case, the foster care case, this is out of Philadelphia, where there's a church that does the vetting process and they won't do it for gay couples because it's against their religion. And um, this was uh, Gorsuch wrote the foster care case, and that opinion was joined by Alito and Clarence Thomas. Uh, he wrote, quote, dodging the question today guarantees it will recur tomorrow. These cases will keep coming until the court musters the fortitude to supply an answer. And respectfully, it should have been done so today uh, or the court should have done so today. I think you have a three, three, three court right now. That's South Texas College of Law professor Josh Blackman. Three, three, three. I disagree with the notion that we have a six member conservative majority on many of these divisive issues, he said. Some analysts suspect that the vocal public tiff that conservatives aired may be in part due to gripes about horse trading that was done by Justice Breyer. So now you're getting into sort of the machinations aspect here. And this is the stuff that people want to pretend doesn't occur, but it totally does. Okay. The unusual length and the painstaking detail in Alito's opinion in the Philadelphia case, in the foster care case, led a lot of people who watch this sort of thing to wonder if it might have been drafted as a majority opinion. Because if you're just drafting a dissent that you know you're going to lose, like why go through all of this work if you think, you know, if you know that you don't have the votes, right? Um, And so he did all of this work and then it ends up not being the majority opinion. And so the idea is that he drafted it to be the majority opinion, but then lost that status due to a shift in the court's initial vote. A similar scenario played out in the Obamacare case in 2012. Alito's lament about more than six months of post-argument cogitation in the same-sex foster case dispute also fuels some suspicion that something more than just a routine exchange of opinions went on. His, because he's got a 77-page Fulton concurrence, has me thinking, this is um, Mike Sachs, an attorney and legal reporter for WNYW-TV in New York. He says, it's got me thinking that Roberts did actually assign Alito the original majority decision and then gave himself the Obamacare decision until Justice Breyer engineered a bipartisan coup in Fulton that Roberts took for himself while reassigning Obamacare to Breyer. Right. So they, sh- so, so after uh, Breyer makes this shift, then Alito loses the ability to write, or he loses his, uh, uh, he, the status as the majority. And so now he's not writing a majority opinion. 
And Josh Blackman said he, too, thinks something unusual played out in that foster care case. He says, hey, I got that vibe. I think Alito was just pissed. He was frustrated. (laughs) So there's that. Then, against all of this, you've got Sheldon Whitehouse, he who still attends the all-white beach club in Rhode Island that he said in 2006 he was going to cancel his membership because it's an all-white club and how dare you and uh, he actually has not canceled in fact he and his wife have apparently consolidated control uh, on the board or something of this all-white beach club in Rhode Island at any rate during her confirmation hearings, this is from CNN's Manu Raju, uh, the reporter. He tweeted this out the other day. During her confirmation hearings, Democrats argued that Amy Coney Barrett would wipe away health care for millions. After she agreed with the majority in this case, though, that upheld the Affordable Care Act, U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse said, quote, not for a minute did he regret that rhetoric that he had used, where he said she was going to take away health care for all Americans. Listen to this, quote, if we hadn't done that, maybe they would have killed the law. It it may be saved because we did so many warnings. Other Judiciary Committee Democrats did not want to address their past comments about how Barrett was poised to kill the Affordable Care Act, asked if she regretted her past rhetoric. Senator Amy Klobuchar said, quote, I am pleased by the decision by the court. And uh, Senator Chris Coons said similar. So the only one here is Sheldon Whitehouse, who makes this comment that if we hadn't have said these things and accused her of trying to kill health care for everybody, then she probably would have. So what does that mean? Seth Mandel, the executive editor at the Washington Examiner magazine, said Sheldon Whitehouse says the quiet part out loud. Left wing antics during confirmation and public debate are in fact intended as attempts at public intimidation of members of the judiciary. And he's exactly right. There's no other explanation for it, right? Their rhetoric was intended to intimidate and threaten the court to rule the way they want them to rule. This is what he believes the intention is. This is the impact he had out of his own mouth. This is the way they want to conduct themselves, to intimidate and threaten the court to do what they want. Now, um, I'm not going to threaten you. I'm going to go get a mattress, a mattress, man. That's just, that's not my style. I'm just going to offer you great deals. Well, okay, technically, mattress man's going to offer you great deals, which is fine. Which, I mean, I don't have to offer you the deal. Mattress man can. It's a free box spring at Mattress Man from the Biltmore Collection. When you buy a Biltmore Collection mattress, you're going to get a free box spring. This is part of their uh, July 4th sale. Okay, so take advantage of this deal. I mean, it's a great deal. You're going to get a Restonic uh, Biltmore mattress. And that means you get, I mean, not only luxurious, you know, old world craftsmanship, but you get new world exclusive technology as well, like the five support zones for proper spinal alignment. You get optimal balance then of pressure point relief and support. And you don't even have to wait for a new mattress. Okay. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. And they have tons of flexible financing options. So even if you don't have stellar credit, uh, head on over to mattressmanstores.com and click on the financing link and you can apply and then get pre-approved right now before you ever walk into the store. They have five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. 
and uh, they're locally owned and operated. They have four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and in Arden, and you can go to mattressmanstores.com and look at the inventory. That's mattressmanstores, mattressmanstores.com. So the Committee for Justice, uh, I believe it's a conservative organization. Their, uh, their slogan is holding judges and politicians accountable to the Constitution, the Committee for Justice. And they issued a statement after these rulings came down. Um, by the, uh, the statement came from the president, Kurt Levy, who said, quote, Consider the contrast between reality and Democrats' exaggerated predictions and fear-mongering. Last fall, during the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing for Amy Coney Barrett, Democratic senator after Democratic senator told stories of constituents who would suffer, if not die, when Barrett was confirmed, uh, were she to be confirmed. She would provide the fifth, quote, far right vote for striking down the Affordable Care Act, they said, some of them implying that Barrett had promised President Trump to strike down the Affordable Care Act in return for her nomination. More generally, Democrats told us that Barrett would cement a conservative majority on the court, resulting in closely divided hard right decisions about race and gay rights and other important social issues. Beyond Senate Democrats looking foolish, why does this matter? Well, because Democrats and their allies on the left are doing it again, using exaggerated predictions and scare tactics. Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Jim Crow will return. Democracy will die, etc., etc., And they're using these tactics and exaggerated predictions to convince us that their radical plan to pack the Supreme Court with Biden appointees is imperative. While uh, while Democrats claim their court packing proposals are about making the Supreme Court less partisan or more balanced, the opposite is actually true. Their proposals are aimed at sweeping away the current balanced composition of the court, which results in decisions that anger conservatives as often as liberals and creating a court that will reliably ratify and advance the left's political agenda. Which, of course, now this is proof that they only uh, voted the way they voted (laughs) or ruled the way they ruled was uh, to uh, uh, to try to rob the left of some of their momentum in packing the court. But this is a good point. I think this is a good point. Democrats are making this argument, have been making this argument that, oh, my gosh, the world is going to come to an end because you got these conservatives that make up the majority on the court. And what do we get? We get two rulings that show that the conservative block is not actually a block, that there is a division among the six conservatives more so. And by the way, folks on the right, we are well aware of this, as always, like people on the right know that the Supreme Court justices break ranks, they splinter off, they have principles on things, and they're like, I'm going to vote on this matter because this is what the law says and the Constitution says, and it means sometimes they peel away and vote with the liberals, whereas that rarely ever happens the other way. Rarely ever happens. But uh, this does lay bare the lie behind the court-packing scheme that Democrats have been advancing for uh, the last almost year. Well, yeah, since uh, Joe Biden won. Um, Next up, Ivermectin. Quick update here. Ivermectin, that's the drug, right? It's an uh, anti-parasitic. It's been around for a very long time. And there's a new study published out of Britain. Repurposed medicines may have a role against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The anti-parasitic ivermectin with antiviral and anti-inflammatory properties has now been tested in numerous clinical trials. And so they went through and they sort of... Uh, 
they you know sifted for studies and then they extracted data they uh, they looked at the risk of bias they did meta analyses of all of these uh, uh, studies and surveys and such and here's what they concluded are you ready moderate certainty evidence so not like super confident not really weak confidence but moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to uh, severe disease. Once again, people on the right who listen to talk radio and podcasts, we're aware of all this information. We've been aware that there are drugs that you can take that people have been recommending, doctors have been recommending, but when we try to share the information with other people, it gets blocked because the big tech companies have a bat phone to Democrats and the CDC, but I repeat myself, and uh, they say, don't let that uh, out. That is misinformation. That may be why Henderson County's Board of Commissioners found its uh, its video of their most recent meeting banned from YouTube. Yeah, get this. They so they you know they televise the meeting, they stream it on YouTube, and then they post it. And YouTube took it down and has banned the video. Why? The online video sharing and social media platform took down the video of the June 16th Board of Commissioners meeting, saying it violated their terms of service, specifically the medical misinformation policy. During the meeting, commissioners passed a resolution stating Henderson County will not support the promotion or incentivizing of COVID-19 vaccinations with county tax dollars. And during this debate, apparently people came down and spoke from the public, and those public comments apparently tripped the YouTube uh, uh, censors and they shut down the video and they won't let it be posted, which raises all sorts of questions about public meeting law, right, in North Carolina. And so now the Board of Commissioners voted to immediately replace YouTube as its platform for video posting. So take that, YouTube. (laughs) All right. That is a wrap for the episode. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, You go to thepetecalendarshow.com. I'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.